Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Do you know this Netflix show, Nailed It? It's kind of like the Great British Bake Off. Actually, it's more like the opposite of the Great British Bake Off. The contestants are all terrible bakers. Well, Nicole Byer is the very funny host of the show, but it's not just that. She also hosts a few podcasts. She hosts another TV show. She's on a stand-up tour right now. Nicole will be here to tell you how she juggles it all and how being diagnosed with ADHD finally unlocked her potential. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Have you ever taken a disastrous-looking cake out of the oven and went... Well, I nailed it. If not, just Google it and you're welcome. Nicole Byer has been the host of Nailed It for eight seasons. The bizarre baking show has earned her six Emmy nominations. She's very funny. She's very, you know, kind of charming. She's very um, kind to the very bad bakers on the show. And she has great reactions to the frankly terrible looking cakes. But Nailed It is just one of the many projects Nicole has on the go. She has four podcasts, including one called Why Won't You Date Me and Best Friends. And besides Nailed It, she also hosts the reality show Wipeout with uh, the wrestler John Cena. She put out a book a few years ago. It's called Very Fat, Very Brave, The Fat Girl's Guide to Being Brave and Not a Dejected, Melancholy, Down in the Dumps, Weeping Fat Girl in a Bikini. All the while continuing to perform stand-up. Her special, Nicole Byer, BBW, Big Beautiful Weirdo, is out now on Netflix. And in her even more limited spare time, I caught up with her just before her Just for Laughs show in Toronto tonight. And just a heads up, this was recorded during the writers and actors strike. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Are you good, really? I'm a little tired. I mean, I did just wake up. It is 11 a.m. and that's early for me. What did you do last (laughs) night? Last night, I went to a movie. My friends wrote a movie called Dicks the Musical. Yeah. And it's the most unhinged thing I've ever seen. And it's great. It just played here in Toronto. Everyone was talking about it. Yeah, it's great. It was a stage play at UCB that I'd seen a couple of times. So to see it as a movie was wild. Was it a late night? Um, Pretty late because I went to the after party. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad for this interview for Canada. We you got out of bed for us. I do appreciate it. <laughs> I almost didn't, but then my assistant was like, "Oh, it's on camera," and I was like, "It is." So I have to get up fully and be out of bed. She was like, "Yep." <laughs> um, have you been to Canada before? Have you done done anything here before? I have been to Canada. I've been to Vancouver, Edmonton, which I love, love and everyone thinks that's weird. No, hold on. Hold on. Oh, God, I'm getting called out on Canadian. Yeah. Listen, I also love Edmonton. I'm from a part of like the country where like a lot of people who I'm from go to Edmonton. I like Edmonton a lot. It it is Mm -hmm. rare for me to talk to like a a big, big star from L.A. and then to be like, you know, I'm really into Edmonton. I loved Edmonton. There was this vintage store that was there that was magical and had everything I ever wanted. I don't remember the name of it. Um, but I have good memories of Edmonton. I've been to Toronto, but only for a day. Why were you in Edmonton? Uh, I was doing 
I was doing improv uh, and I cannot remember the theater name, um, but it was delightful. I loved it. I thought the food was good and this vintage store was magical. Well, I'm glad I'm glad the Edmonton vintage stores are getting a shout out. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, improv kind of where you got your started, right? Like improv and sketch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. Um, I met my I guess she's my comedy partner. I don't know. We do a lot of shit together. Um, so she was a Maida. Um, and that's, we went to Canada a bunch together doing improv. Now, was it from, um, I was doing research on you yesterday. Was it from improv that you got the gig on, is it Girl Code? It was on MTV. I don't know if we got it in Canada. Girl yes. Code? Yeah. Girl Code on MTV. Um, I guess, I don't know where they saw me, but it must, it must have been at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater because I hadn't started doing stand-up yet. What was what was Girl Code? It was like a reality show? It was like a talking head show. So we would talk about things that women just didn't generally talk about openly or publicly, like periods or like the first time you fall in love or how to say I love you or sex. And um, I guess it was like for like, you know, coming of age people or young young people in their 20s or whatever. But yeah, it was just like uh, we would just tell jokes to the camera. Oh, by the way, here's a tip for the big girls. If you're trying to catch yourself a man, you got to work with the that God gave you. You got big old show off them big You got a big ass, show off that big ass. But you got to do one at a time so you don't overwhelm men. But if you got no no ass and a big old gut for days, you better paint your face real nice, be real nice, smile real hard, and stay positive. Big girl code. What do you remember about your time on that show? Um, it was fun. It was, it was, it was weird to be on a show with other people. And then you only saw them in hair and makeup. That was a weird thing for me. Um, because it was all two camera alone. So it's like you, a producer, a camera operator. Uh, I have fond memories. It was very fun. And then I worked for MTV for a while and that was also fun. There was this moment on Girl Code that, that stuck out to me when I was, when I was getting ready for this. And, um, you you made a joke, and I don't. Was that is that your dog in the background? Yeah. What's your dog's name? Yeah, I, his name is Clyde. I usually do my interviews in a different room, but it flooded, so they're like, re, I'm having it redone. Oh no! I'm so happy to see Clyde. Are you can. That's Clyde. Oh, that's nice. Um, the the line you had in Girl Code that stuck out to me. And I call it a joke, but from what I understand, it wasn't fully a joke. You said something like, mm. I'm on TV, but I still babysit. Yeah, it wasn't a joke. Uh, and it's I thought it was pretty funny that they included it because I was like, you're just admitting to how cheap you guys are. Like, and again, really love the experience, really love the job. It really did give me opportunity. But I was literally on television for a full season. I think we did 20 episodes the first season. And then I still had to babysit because it was, it didn't, I think I got a thousand dollars an episode. Uh, and then the second season, I don't think it doubled or anything. I don't remember how much I got the second season. I just distinctly remember a thousand dollars for one season of television is $20,000 if you do 20 episodes. And then you have to pay out your manager, uh, not my agent because it was non union. And that's another thing, it was non union. So we didn't get residuals. So it was like 20 flat. 10% gone, taxes gone. I, you can't live off that for a year. No. And, wh and wh what do you remember about that? Like, it reminds me of these conversations. I've had talks with people on this show about like, they got cast in a really big movie and they got to go to mm -hmm. Cannes, 
But they didn't have any money or they didn't get paid anything for the movie. So they couldn't afford like a dress. I think it was Demi, 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 Demi Moore said to me that when she went to France, like she needed security because mm-hmm. it was so big, but it would have to come out of her pocket and she didn't have any That's money. That's insane. You know what I mean? That's absolutely unhinged. I mean, it was just, I, I said the joke, like I, I, I mean, it wasn't a joke, but I did say it. Um, but it was, it was weird to be like recognized as I'm like pushing a stroller with a white baby. And they're like, who's that? I'm like, not mine, obviously. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's an interesting thing how people like to pay you in exposure and experience as opposed to like money that can change your life. I guess the reason it was sticking out to me is because we're we're, we're talking so much on this show these days about the uh, writer strike and, and the actor yeah. strike. And one side of things. Well. A lot of the rhetoric around it has been, oh, it's a boom time for reality TV. It's never been a better time for reality TV. But I haven't seen anyone speak up for like people who are on those kind of shows, like more reality based uh, mm-hmm. shows. Bethany Frankel has been pretty outspoken um, because she has made people millions of dollars and hasn't seen that money. She makes money with like other ventures. But reality television is actually really wild. Like, I feel like they pay a lot of people on reality shows like either stipends or I know on competition shows, people do not get paid because there's a chance to win money. Like, I don't even think they get like a per diem because they're just put up in a hotel. Um, but I I think people who aren't in the business are just like so excited at the prospect of being on camera. Like, I know every time people do Nailed It, they're all so surprised at how long we shoot, how long they're on their feet. And I try to make it like a really great experience. So like I'm, I'm on the whole time, but it is like, it is a hard job. It is being on TV is it's hard and people don't think it's very hard. And I mean, I'm for the strike because I know how much money I made on network things before streaming really took over and I know how much I get paid now. And I'm like, well, there's a difference. And that's only like five or six years. You had a time when you were on network shows and you were, you know, we were b- b- pre like Netflix and pre like. Well, not pre. No, short, I, think, short. I don't think I'm that old, but. Um, oh, but pre like. But pre know. everybody having a streaming service. And I know that my residuals were bigger then than they are now. Do you think things need to change for reality performers as well in this discussion? Like, do you think they should? Yes, be, yeah? absolutely. I think I think if you do a season of reality television, you should be able to live at least for a year. I know some people are like, well, then go get other jobs. And it's like, but they sell commercials on us. So where's that money going? They rerun it. Where's that money going? So it's just, it's, it's very, it's interesting. Well, I mean, I hope you take this next question in the spirit that I mean it, which is of course like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> by the way, nothing that good has ever come from, I hope you take this question with the spirit that I mean it. It's never, it's never, why are you so great? Uh, <laughs> I can't wait. What is this question? Well, I just think about uh, the next thing I was planning on asking you was, I mean, um, Everything I just described is how much you do. You have all of these podcasts. You have, you know, you have all these shows. You're doing stand up. You're you're doing a lot. My, I was just going to ask you, like, why do you take on so much, or like, you know, what 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 is it that drives you to take on so much? The reason I was cautious is because I was wondering if there's a connection between what you were saying. Like, you just have to do a lot these days. Um, huh. 
I mean, in hindsight, it, it is smart that I have all of these things going on because during the strike I and then during COVID, I was able to um, still, you know, make money with podcasting and stuff that wasn't in person. Um, but I started my podcast genuinely because I don't listen to podcasts, which sounds I sound like an but like I don't I, I don't really like just listening to conversations and stuff. But my friend was like, you're so good at talking and you're so fun. And you've been on my podcast. My friend, John Gabris, he was like, you should start your own podcast. And I was like, yeah, but what I, what would I talk about? He's like, I don't know, buy or talk about sex or something. You're like, just talk about that. You like that. And I was like, okay. And then I started doing it. And then I started really having fun with it. Baby, welcome to another episode of Why Won't You Date Me, a podcast where me, Nicole Byer, tries to figure out how I'm still single, even though you could <laughs> cut <laughs> even though you could cut up all of my clothes and say, tee-hee-hee, it's now confetti. I'd go, okay, thank you. My guest today. And then I was like, I could do anything I want. And I, we, we don't have to just talk about sex. Like, I branched off and only interviewed people of color during the summer of 2020. And now, now I'm just like exploring other people's love lives and not really talking about mine. Um, but it's, it's just been like really fun. And then best friends with Sashir. She's my best friend. We just tee hee hee for like an hour. It's so easy and fun. And, um, and then I uh, covered 90 day fiance with my friend, Marcy. And then me and my friend Lapkus do one where we watch things that everyone has seen. Like we're doing Batman right now and it's hellish. But um, <laughs> the first Batman? We're doing all of the Batmans. Like I've never just seen watched... any of the Michael Keaton back Batmans. You know what? I didn't like them at first, but then I watched the Joel Schumacher ones and I was like, you, these ones aren't bad. Michael Keaton was actually very good. Uh, I want to go back to there. Um, and then I do stand up. I don't know. I just, I like doing, I like working specifically this job I've curated because I'm always having fun. I get on stage for an hour and I make people laugh and I hope they enjoy it and like forget about the worries in the world. And that's like really cool that I can do that. My podcast, you can listen to that for an hour and hopefully you forget about the worries with the world and you laugh and it's very cool that I get to do that. And then it's like, I also get to act and I don't have to be me for a while and I get to hang out with cool people. Like, I just, I don't know. I would be silly to be like, no, I don't want to do something, you know? Yeah. I find it interesting. So like, it's, it's like you like giving people this kind of release from all the kind of stress they have in their lives. Yeah. Also I'm having a lot of fun. Like when I wrote my book, like I wrote some of it on vacation with Sashir and we were like in bed and I was just like typing and giggling. And she was like, what are you giggling about? And I was like, I wrote something funny. And then I would like read it to her and then she would laugh. And then we would just like laugh in bed together. I just, I'm having a lot of fun. I'll be saying normal things out loud to a guy and thinking the most insane things <laughs> out loud. I'm like, yes, you're very funny. Let's get a drink, who me? I love a taco. And then, <laughs> And then I'm thinking insane things like, why does it take you more than 30 seconds to text me back? <laughs> Will you ever love me more than you love your dog? <laughs> I know it's only been three months, but if you die, do I get to go to your funeral? And is that when I get to meet your mother? <laughs> that last one's not a joke. I. It takes a lot of um, 
it takes a lot of focus to do that to to do a lot of things. Like to do one thing takes. I have ADHD, so it's like, and all of these are tasks that never need to actually be finished. Like a stand up, like I changed my special up until I recorded it. Um, I added like a new joke the day of or the night before. Um, my podcast is like, if I have a thing that I forgot to ask somebody, I'll ask somebody else. I'll like write it down. Um, the book was a thing that was like super, super ongoing. I changed it till the day it like, uh, it was like, you can't change it anymore. So I think my ADHD helps me. (laughs) You think your ADHD (laughs) helps you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Just because you hyper-focus on one thing, then you hyper-focus on another thing. And then. I don't know. I don't get super upset when I get like when I don't get things because I'm like on to the next. Yeah. I don't have time. My brain doesn't focus like that. When did you get diagnosed? As an adult, um, uh, maybe like six years ago, seven years ago. I think I was in my 30s or maybe I was in my 20s. It wasn't super, super long ago, but like as soon as I was diagnosed, everything made sense. I was just about to ask you that. I've had people say that to me before, that when they got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, something clicked. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. Um, I went on like this girl's trip, like a girl's writer's trip. And one of the girls was like, I just, you know, found out I have ADHD and I would like leave my mail unopened and explain why I couldn't do this or this. And I was like, oh my God, you're describing my life. Because I would never open my mail unless it was a check and then bills would go in one pile. And I used to like let my electricity get turned off before I would pay it because I just like forgot about it. Um, and then I would just get like frustrated with the way my brain works. Um, so she said that. And then I said to my therapist, I think I might have ADHD. And she was like, I think you also might. Um, but I didn't know if it was like affecting your life. And I said, okay. So then she set me up with a psychiatrist and then the psychiatrist talked to me pretty uninterrupted for like five or six minutes. And she was like, it's bad. And I was like, okay. Cause I just kind of bounced around from like thing to thing. Um, and then she put me on Vivance, which is time released and you can't really abuse it cause it's time released. Um, and things just not the first day, but like a week into it, I was like, Oh, I'm like finishing tasks. Um, I'm like doing things. It's like life's a little easier. What's the feeling like? Like, is it, is, is it like you have different, is it that you can like see things differently? Is it that you can? No, I'm not as annoying. So like when I'm with friends, a lot of times we'll be like, did you not take your medicine? And I'll be like, why have I said a thousand things in two minutes? Yeah. Um, but it, it just kind of, it's weird because it's a stimulant, but it calms my brain down. So like, I'm able to like, instead of just like making a rash choice or just being like, oh, I can't do that. I can be like, oh, okay. What are steps I have to take to like actually get this done? And I'm like, okay, uh, I can now like start that task. Cause now I understand how to start it. Um, yeah. And like the thoughts go a little slower. I know one of your podcasts is under the team Coco thing. Have you ever heard Conan talk about that, that he was like resistant to go on, I think it's antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication mm-hmm. in the nineties or early two thousands because he thought yeah, that like, he thought it would take away his funny. And that's yeah. what I thought, but my life had gotten to the point where it wasn't unmanageable. It was just like incredibly frustrating. Like every day was frustrating. So like my keys are something I would lose every day. I would leave them in the door, leave them in my car, 
leave them anywhere. So then they just, I put so many keychains on them so that they were really heavy and I could hear them. Like if they fell off the table, I could hear them. Like I could just hear wherever they were. Um, and I was like, that's unmanageable. You have a brick in your purse because you keep losing your keys. Um, I still have it though, because I, I get scared <laughs> of losing my keys. Um, but I also thought it was going to like take away my funding, but it hasn't. It has, it's made it a little bit more streamlined. And sometimes I usually run jokes past people because the way my brain works, it won't quite make sense. It makes sense to me, but like not to other people. And it's gotten easier to write jokes that make sense to people. So like pre-meds, you were like, uh, pre-meds, pre-meds, very different than pre-med, by the way. Pre-meds, you were like, yeah. <laughs> pre-meds, you were like, um, I'm... I got this joke and, and your friends would be like, I don't understand what, 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 what this is. Yeah. Mostly. So she would be like, what do you mean? And I'm like this. And she's like, Oh, word it like this. And okay. I'd be like, okay. I think it's good. I think it's good thing to say out loud. Cause I, when, when I started going to therapy, I was worried that like whatever weird magic and alchemy and like, strange happenstance that got me this job. I was like, oh, I, well, that seems so tenuous to me. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like none of this should have happened. And it must be whatever I was is wrong with me is what's keeping yeah. me here. So I don't want to fix what's wrong with me because <laughs> it's got it's got me. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But the more I do therapy, the more I've been medicated, the more I'm like, we're all still f-ed up. It's just... Instead of being like 50-50, maybe you're like 60-40 or 70-30. 70 is good, 30 is bad. I don't think anyone's ever like running at like 99%. But it's like if you could make your life slightly easier, slightly better, and make yourself slightly happier, why wouldn't you do that? That's nice. You're going to hear more of my conversation with the comedian, podcaster, actor, author, Reality host, Nicole Byer, coming up on Q. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. My dad died. Um... I was taking improv classes. So it's like, okay, so improv class, I don't have to be me. I can be an elephant for a half hour or whatever. So I think it was helpful in that way. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the comedian Nicole Byer, who in addition to being a stand-up, who's playing Just for Laughs in Toronto tonight, she's also the Emmy Award-nominated host of the reality show Nailed It on Netflix. And if you missed the first part of our conversation, I might even go back and listen to it because she she opened up a lot about how being diagnosed with ADHD has really affected every aspect of her life, including like how she phrases a joke. And given that she got diagnosed as an adult, you know, it made me ask a little bit about what she was like as a kid. And then she opened up a little bit about the death of both of her parents. And, you know, if you've experienced loss especially loss of a, of a parent, you know that 
in addition to the deep, overwhelming sadness. Sometimes the way you talk about it is with some levity, with some light. So I want to let you know that's coming up in our conversation. But first, yeah, a little bit about what Nicole Byer was like as a kid. I was the loudest child you could imagine. Um, I just loved talking. I loved just, I loved attention. Um, and then I didn't start performing until high school. My mother was like, you are so loud and you talk so much. Why don't you go do the school play? And then I did the play and it was one of those like participation trophy plays. It wasn't just a, like a play. So like everyone who auditioned got in and I did this scene called DMV Tyrant, which is very, very funny. And DMV Tyrant, like at the motor mm-hmm. vehicle. Yeah. It was just a lady who like wasn't helpful right? Um, in the funniest way possible. And I remember that first laugh and I was like, this, this is what I want all the time. This is everything I've ever wanted. Um, but then after school, I kind of like around the city for a while. I worked at Lane Bryant, which is one of the worst jobs I've ever had. But then I found UCB and then I started taking classes and then Started performing at the theater pretty quickly and then was put on the sketch team. And then, yeah, I just love comedy. Eventually, I do want to do like serious stuff, um, but I really just love comedy right now. I read this thing, and, and, and Nicole, this is a pre taped interview, so we don't got to talk about anything you don't want to talk about. Um, but I read this thing that, um, and I'm curious about this because I have, a, I can relate to you on, on this. I know that you lost your parents young. Um, young, young-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sixteen and twenty-one. Oh, jeez, I was uh, twenty-four for my dad. Uh, yeah. yeah, sucks. Yeah. Young adult, like you're not five. Yeah, but it's it's enough that like everyone around you still has a parent, and you're the odd person out. Yeah, even now, like <laughs> even now, some of my parents, like my friends, their parents are getting older, and I'm like, still, you still have. Yeah, you still have a parent. Well, isn't that nice for you? <laughs> I should say, my mom is listening. And the, the point being, <laughs> um, the, the, did did performing, did art, did any of this stuff help with with that? Yeah, my mom died when I was in high school, and I was like in the play at the time, so it was nice that like I didn't have to be me for like an hour after school. And then my dad died um, while I was taking improv classes. So it's like, okay, so improv class, I don't have to be me. I can be an elephant for a half hour or whatever. So I think it was helpful in that way. It was like, it wasn't so much that like, oh, hey, I found a community and I found a family and I found, it was oh, like, no. I got. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just have to be me for a little bit. <laughs> but I guess, <laughs> I guess after you said it, yes, I did find a community. I found like really, really great people. Like I'm still friends with one of my dear friends who was in uh, one of the plays with me in high school. Um, I met my best friends this year. I've met so many great people from UCB. So yeah, I guess it, it was also the community. Sure, but that's, that's, that's by the way, dead on impression of me. The uh, <laughs> I love that idea that you, when you go through something really tragic and you go through something really sad, sometimes you know, people want to talk to you about it and they want they want you to talk about it and they want, you know, there's this idea that you want to get into it and sort of live in it. But it's nice to be able to get an hour or two to mm-hmm. be somebody else to completely escape it and sort of live in another world. Yeah, because nobody tells you how much work it is after somebody dies. It's like you have to make a thousand phone calls and then everyone's like, oh, sorry for your loss. Or like, are they actually dead? And you're like, yes. Like, well, we need to see a death certificate. And it's like, why would I lie? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> is that true? Yeah. So like me and my sister, because my mom had passed away. So we were selling my dad's estate. Um, he also didn't submit her death certificates to anything. So like, then they'd be like, well, your mother's next to Kim. We're like, well, she's dead too. And they're like, prove it. Like, <laughs> And then, so it's, <laughs> when you deal with <laughs> Nobody makes it easy or nice after somebody dies. Like, sorry for your loss. We don't believe you. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad they got the meanest people in the world working in that job for you. By the way, yeah, it's like my sister who at the time was, I was 21, so she was 22 or 23. But she has a very like high pitched. She sounds like a kid, so she'd be like, "I'm sorry. Um, here's the stuff that you need," and they'd be like, "Huh? Is this kid trying to scam us? Like, it's it was so wild." What a rough scam that is, by the way. Like, what, a, what a cruel scam. Um, this is something that we were talking about with regards to you and your and your comedy yesterday. We were talking about how you're so reactive in a really funny way. Like when you're when you're talking to other people, you're so funny with them. And when you're on Nailed It and you have these like kind of clueless bakers, you're so funny with them. And when you're on your podcast, you have other people with you and you're so and you're so funny with them. And even in improv, you were talking to me about it's such a it's such a, you know, energy you're feeding off other people's energy mm-hmm. and you know, other ideas from them. When you're on stage by yourself, how do you find that? Like how do you find that having to generate it from you? Um, well, I've had people be like, oh, you really love laughing at your own jokes. And I'm like, yeah, I think they're very funny. That's why I'm saying them. <laughs> Everything I say on stage is like something that I thought of and laughed really hard at. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm on stage. Um, or like a story that like, I was like, maybe this will be fun. And then you find the fun on stage. Um, I I like performing. I like making people laugh. Um, I will say there was a point in like 2019, I'd been on the road for, I don't know, maybe a year or so, like every weekend I was doing five shows a weekend, like doing club after club. And I was so burnt out that I could still perform and it was still a good show. But like if someone heckled or like said something, I would like lose my mind. I'd be like, I'm I prepared this. I rehearsed it. And then I was like, and then I stopped for a while. COVID happened. And when I started getting back out there, I was like, oh yeah, people are trying to have fun. Sure, you don't interrupt a show, but if you do, you can have fun with it. So I'm not saying like shout at me at shows, but <laughs> I I did find the joy again of like actually performing in front of live people where I was just so burnt. But now, now I'm like, anything could happen. I don't know. Uh, also, I can like make myself laugh. Like I'll just be alone in my room and be like, <laughs> like the other day <laughs> I like ran a red light by accident. And then I started screaming, I gotta get my pizza. Cause I was rushing home to get my pizza. <laughs> Running this red light screaming, I gotta get my pizza. So like, I just, I have fun all the time. I had a guy the other day, uh, he did the funniest thing I've ever seen anyone in a car do. I was driving and go through an intersection and he cut me off and I was so mad. Like I was so Mm -hmm. mad that he cut me off and I looked at him and he rolled down the window and went, shh. (laughs) I'm going to steal that. That's really funny. Isn't that the funniest Shh. Put his finger for, for the radio listeners. He put his finger up to his mouth and went shh. 
That is so funny. It's I, If you're listening to this and you did that, reach out. That's the funniest thing that's oh, ever happened man. to me in my entire life. Uh, hey, listen, so nice to meet you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You're, you're, a, you're, a, I love talking to you. Thank you. I honestly really love talking, specifically to you, but also in general. <laughs> Nicole Byer plays Toronto tonight as part of the Just for Laughs Festival in Toronto. For tickets, toronto.hahaha.com. All right, that's it for this episode of Q. Um, it's been quite a week here on the show, um, given that it's Friday been pretty exciting. Our Mick Jagger interview came out at the beginning of the week, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind. So I just want to say thank you to everybody, not just here on Q, but on The Current and and on the morning shows at the CBC and uh, on The National for helping us get the word out about the Mick Jagger interview. If you haven't already checked that out, um, (laughs) if you somehow missed the CBC screaming Mick Jagger at you, uh, you can find it on our YouTube channel or Q with Tom Power, wherever you get your podcast. I just had a guy stop me in the mall earlier today and go, so I interviewed Mick Jagger and, you know, it felt pretty good. Um, uh, The other conversation we put up today is with two great Canadian authors, Jillian and Mariko Tamaki, their cousins. They, they, I love what they say. I was like, oh, did you guys work together growing up? And no, one was in Alberta and one was in Ottawa. And they met uh, at like two weddings and a funeral. That's kind of where they met one another. I had this cousin, um, I'm not going to say his name, but um, we went to high school together. And I said to him when I saw him in high school, I said, nice to see you in the hallway, man. And not just like over a casket. Uh, but you know that feeling, those cousins you only see in, like, tragic moments. Um, they ended up meeting again as adults and now are making award-winning work, including their new work, Roaming. Anyway, uh, go check that out wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.